0: is What Shall We Do About? with Sam Robinson. Hello and welcome to What Shall We Do About? the show that tries to improve the world's less pressing problems. Ever since the turn of the millennium, reality television has dominated free-to-air television, whether we like it or not. Cooking shows, home renovation shows, dating shows, they've rolled out nightly and proven popular. But how real are they? And how much does editing have a role in the way that we view contestants and the way that storylines play out? Joining me on the show this week is Adelaide High School teacher Nick Idanza, who gained the title of The Snake in the first season of Australian Survivor, and he returned only a few months ago to play again in Australian Survivor All-Stars. Nick is also a reality television junkie and has thought deeply about the genre and, as you'll hear, is able to reveal some tricks of the trade to help us navigate reality TV better as viewers. I'm very excited to talk to you, Nick Idanza. Being a big Survivor fan, you've played twice.
1: Yes, I have.
0: <laughs> How did that happen? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I still feel like I'm that 12-year-old kid who just
1: would sit back and watch Survivor like on repeat. And now I can say I'm a two-time Survivor player, reality TV contestant. It's very strange. It's very strange indeed.
0: But you're not, I I kind of feel like you're not the typical Survivor player because you're actually a high school English teacher from Adelaide.
1: Yeah, I feel like the typical, I don't know whether it's like the typical reality TV contestant is like someone who just like wants to, you know, become famous afterwards or someone who's kind of like more known for their body than their brain. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I've always felt that I I kind of sit kind of outside the mold Mm. of, of what it means to be a Survivor player, especially when you look at, You know, especially for something like Survivor All-Stars, you know, which just wrapped um, airing that if you look at all the males that they cast, it's just like they're all carved from stone, these like Adonises. And then I'm like, hey,
0: yeah, (laughs) I'm a teacher. (laughs) I I, I like reading. (laughs) This is the thing that scares me because I would love to. I'm a big Survivor fan and I'd love to play Survivor one day. But I think the thing that worries me the most is that it... Especially the Australian version, it's such a physical game, oh, it's and crazy. And the you know the early challenges, especially, it's like oh, let's just wrestle and try yeah. and knock each other off a, a, yep. a floating raft. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. I don't know how you did it.
1: It's become like just insane nowadays. Like the the, the evolution of Australian Survivor in its in its attempt to appeal to that lowest common denominator, <laughs> the, the audience that just like <laughs> we want big people smash big people like it's like what about the puzzles what about the kind of the mental aspect of it all like that's the kind of stuff that i like and um it definitely has changed but you know it's one of those things it's like this weird inverse curve that like if you can make it past that first stage then like you become like almost protected by your smaller size Mm. it's just one of those weird little algorithms that kind of has developed inside the competition which is I guess, good if you can get to that point. But if you don't, you're probably going to get crushed into a cube by some adventure guide from Bali who wants to prove that they're the biggest, most muscular guy on TV.
0: Now, you have played twice. Let's talk about the first time that you played Survivor because you played the first season Mm. of this kind of new uh there's a few i mean we kind of forget about the there's a few seasons that were a long time ago on other networks we don't talk
1: about those don't (laughs) talk about those
0: but channel 10 uh put a whole bunch of money into this they've done it so well so true to the uh, american version for the most part um and you were part of the first cast the first season like five years ago yeah so it filmed in 2016 2016 yeah um we were the guinea
1: pigs, and I obviously I've always dreamed of playing Survivor. And when it found out that you know Channel Ten was doing it, you know uh, I was like, okay, I have to be involved. Did my audition, and when I finally found out that I was getting through, I was like, hold on a second, is this going to be real Survivor? Like, are they going to do it properly? Like, and are they going to put enough money behind it? And we had no idea what we were going out there for. Like, I was like, and as someone who has seen every American episode and is a completely obsessed super fan, like. I had very high expectations and they met them. Like they they did a really good job, but it did feel weird being the guinea pig, but not even just the guinea pig for me and the show. It was like, we were the guinea pig for Australian audiences. Mm. Like Survivor has been on the air since 2001, but you know, it's been on go or it might, you know, get kind of like put on like an odd time slot. And, you know, not many people watch American Survivor now uh, in Australia. So we were this kind of like, hey Australian public this is what Survivor is like (laughs) do you like it and it was very strange being part of that first batch.
0: What did your kids think about playing because obviously you'd have to disappear from work for a while did you get permission how did all that go?
1: Yeah it was very strange so um, I kind of just said to them only my principal knew and he gave me permission to go um, which was (laughs) astounding I didn't think I'd get that because I work at an all boys private school it's you know quite a prestigious school Mm. and I thought they're not going to want to be associated with this but my principal was extremely supportive of our own personal endeavors and and I just kind of had to tell the students I said oh I'm taking some personal leave um and unfortunately you know it's I don't want to talk about it and I kind of just kind of made it seem like I was had this really big personal thing going so that people wouldn't probe and then a couple of kids who know I love Survivor they were like are you going to be on Survivor and I was like had to hold them back after class and be like, you know, that's extremely disrespectful. I'm going through something personal. Like, (laughs) please, please don't mention that again. (laughs) And then, um, a lot of my colleagues thought that I was like really sick because, you know, it was freezing cold before I left. It was in, in Adelaide. And I remember walking into school one day and I had a beanie on and then they like came up to me and they said, you know if there's anything you need, and I was like, oh no, these people think I've got cancer. Like it was just like, oh my god, please, I just need to get out of here. <laughs> um, so it was really, it was a really strange experience to just kind of up and
0: leave. And then but you, the kids
1: love it; they yeah, love it. They think yeah. it's hilarious that they can watch their teacher run around in their underwear, like lying, cheating, and stealing, like on primetime television.
0: Where did it? Where did you place in that first season?
1: So I, out of twenty four people, I came eleventh. I was the first member of the jury, so I was there for the whole time. Um, and I spent three weeks in Drury Villa and I was there to then vote on the winner at the end. So I'm, I was pretty happy with that. That was 37 days out of 55 days, which is a fair whack oh. uh, considering I thought I was going to be the first person voted out. 55 and then this, this
0: days. Tournament.
1: Yeah, and then this time in All Stars, I lasted twenty-eight days. Came thirteenth. I just can't get past that kind of like that 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 chunk in the game. Just that uh, I can't get to the second half. But um, no, I, look, I've played sixty-five days of Survivor, and that's insane to me.
0: That's that's a lot considering the American seasons are only thirty-nine days long. Yeah, like yeah. that's I've that's done a...
1: two American seasons
0: exactly. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. You, you finished eleventh. You were you were called like the the Snake in the first... Yeah. is that what It's kind of your nickname, right, in the first yeah. season? And then you, even though you finished 11th and you're the first member of the jury, you still got the call-up to play All-Stars.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, so, season one was very much like... It was... So if we think about, you know, the reality TV on this continuum where it kind of started in, you know, the early 2000s and then has evolved to this point where it's just gotten wilder and crazier over as time has progressed, you know, pushing the envelope, more people willing to do more things. That's the American way. Like Mm. Australian TV has kind of been a lot slower to kind of catch up to that. And so I went in there with this like American, you know, I've been suckling at the teat of American network television for like my entire life. Like... So I go in with you know shot out of a cannon ready to just do whatever, say whatever, you know, you know, make good TV, but also just like, I don't know these people, they're not my friends and and a lot of people who went out there didn't even know what Survivor was, and they were there to kind of make friends and blah 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 blah. So I think what happened is I actually stood out as this kind of really insane villain when I didn't really do too much villainous, but like <laughs> just by by contrast. Yeah. And I think that made me stand out uh, quite a lot. And then I was given this nickname of Nick the Snake as someone who kind of like snaked out his friends and blah, 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 blah. And then it kind of, what it did is it kind of created this weird little brand for me <laughs> around <laughs> uh, being Nick the Snake where like i walk down the street and people like hiss and like call me the snake like you know you get served at a restaurant they'll go thanks snake like and it's just like whoa like (laughs) this is crazy like i love it it's like i I just think it's hilarious like not i don't want to be famous or anything like that it's just it's it's hilarious to me and i think what that did is it kind of when they went back to the well of like all right who do we want back it's like well we need those memorable people that people you know the the people that are willing to kind of push the narrative forward and i I guess i got the call
0: but that's i think that's great like to see you, because I, I remember watching that first season and thinking, man, I'll, and, and no offense to the players you played with, but a lot of these people don't seem to know how this game works. <laughs> but you clearly did, and I think when they announced the All Stars, it was great to see someone from that first season who yeah. who is a huge Survivor fan back in the cast.
1: Yeah, well, it's what's what was crazy to me about the people who hadn't seen the, sh- you know, I don't know, maybe. What I've learned is that people are very different. People have very different motivations for wanting to do these types of shows, um, whether it's the money, the notoriety, the experience, mm. the, the the fandom, whatever. Um, I just could not believe that there were people out there who had never seen the show, that and 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 didn't know the rules of the game. Mm. And and when everyone was playing with the rules, they were pushing back again saying that's not how it should be played. It's like you wouldn't. It's like the equivalent of having never watched AFL before and then saying, put me in coach and walking out into the middle of the MCG on grand final day and being like, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to bounce the ball on my head because that's the way I think it should be done. It's like, how did you not understand that this show has this legacy and it has this, uh, you know, there is, there's even YouTube. If you don't, if you don't, if your attention span doesn't last 40 minutes for an episode, you know, you can watch a five-minute YouTube clip. Mm. Um, it just—it was crazy to me.
0: I, I recall at the end of uh, your time on All Stars, you, you posted a photo of yourself when you were yes, only eight on my age, Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram, you were age 12, playing a homemade version of Survivor. Yeah. So this is gen, like genuinely a dream come true to play not only once but twice. Mind, yeah, definitely. Mind like- blown mind blown mate. Like
1: I had a survivor themed 21st where everyone and invita- every invitation was like a torch. We came there. It was all, it was like a fancy, you know, 21st, but it was all decorated as a jungle theme. There was a voting booth. Um, uh, <laughs> we did like gross eating challenges halfway through the night. If you pulled the buff out underneath your chair, um, uh, like I, I, in year seven, I ran like a survivor competition amongst my class at lunchtime. You know, I just, I just was captivated by the adventure of it all. I was captivated by this idea that you can go out there and you can be someone like who you never get to be in your real life. Like, believe it or not, I'm a very honorable person in real life. And I have no issue with going out there and like, you know, being someone completely different and playing this kind of character because, you know, it's just fun. And that's just always captivated me. And like, as a 12 year old kid, like I would go away on holidays and like, like that photo was taken on the Murray river. We went on a houseboat for my dad's 50th or something like that. And um, there were these kind of like pylons where you would attach the the houseboat. Mm. And I did a bet with my little cousin that like, I would stand on the pole the longest. And she was like down for it and like got over it after like 20 minutes. And I was out there for hours just because I had seen, you know, Kelly Wigglesworth and Rudy Bosch do it on the first season's finale, like do it for hours. And, yeah, it's just this weird, sick little obsession that I've had my whole life.
0: What what is it about Survivor, the format of Survivor, that makes it so special for you?
1: I think what I like about Survivor is that, first of all, you don't you you don't become famous from it in a way. Like, so it's not like you're going on there to be famous. Like, there is a purity I feel like to Survivor because the experience in itself is so unique. It's kind of like the Amazing Race, where like you get people who are motivated by the experience. Whereas like something like the bachelor or the voice or, you know, these shows they're motivated by this idea of like, I will use this as a platform to become famous. So it does kind of weed out a lot of those people and it has like this purity to it. And who doesn't, who as a kid did not love the idea of like, you know, like the jungle book and like, you know, you know, Robinson Crusoe and like getting out there and like, you know, living off nothing and pushing your body to as, as, as far as it could possibly be. and, And beyond all that, I just, I love chess. Like, I love, like, those kind of manipulative games. I'm an argumentative person. And I love the idea that, like, I can use my mouth to try and convince people. I can use my words. And it's just the whole thing just kind of captivated me. And, like, and I also loved uh, that and saying before how, like, I was different to a lot of the other people that were on All Stars, or especially all the guys, is that the person who won season one of American Survivor was this overweight, middle-aged gay man who, like, walked around, like, in a nude and made friends with a Navy SEAL, like, who was from a different, whole different spectrum of life. And, you know, the, the the star of the season was this, you know, gruff truck driver called Sue. Like, you know, it was just like, these are people that we never saw on TV. And it was fascinating. Then season two comes along and it's won by, like, a soccer mum. Like, you know, these this is... This is why I love reality TV because I, I'm, I'm very interested in people and their stories and like the, the whole like, you know, fly on the wall and the fact that reality TV, when it's good, is a reflection of society. It is, you know, and when it's bad, it's also a reflection of society. But like, mm. you know, but that in itself is fascinating as well. I feel like when when reality TV is allowed to be this pure concept that is not overly manipulated by producers it is, um, it is this fascinating anthropological study. And I think that's why competition-based reality shows are much more pure in the fact that there are legal requirements that mean that the producers cannot intervene because there's money on the line. And therefore, whatever happens just kind of happens. Like, you know, the show isn't allowed to say wow, we love Boston Rob, like, so we have to make sure that he doesn't get voted off in episode five. Mm. Like, in Heroes, Villains, he gets voted off, in, you know, before the merge. And the show just has to wear that. So there is a purity to it as opposed to something like, you know, like a Jersey Shore or whatever. Whilst fascinating and, and hilarious and all that stuff, it is overly um, produced and therefore it loses some of the purity. So that's why Survivor always really appealed to me. You know, even just the fact that you know, playing Survivor, like, When will I have ever interacted with any of the people that I got to play with in my everyday life? Like Mm. in season one, I played with a magician, an ex cricketer. I played with a female firefighter, a grandmother of like, you know, 17 grandchildren who was a, um, you know, customs officer, uh, busting illegal immigrants, you know, uh, a humanitarian, like these people that are like, I would never get to meet those people in my everyday life.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. How how do you prepare for a show like Survivor? I mean, you you obviously had a different tact to others who had never seen the show or are there for different reasons. But for someone who's seen every episode of every US season, what kind of things did you do to get ready to play?
1: Yeah, so I was actually called by the, the producers on season one as the most over prepared. <laughs> Survivor ever, and and I think that's just part of my like neurotic. Uh, I'm not I'm not super neurotic, but like I'm a planner. I'm a teacher. I like to be in control. Like, so I made sure that my prep work was like extremely regimented. I did obviously you rewatch old seasons and kind of brush up on like thing tips and tricks and things that you know could happen to you. But beyond that, it's just like getting your physicality right. um I prepared for what it would be like to to be hungry. Like I stopped eating sugar and so that I would like not have sugar withdrawals on, on day one and be a cranky bastard. Like I slept on the floor of my room, like on the floorboard so that I would know that you can get a night's sleep on, on, you know, a hard surface. Mm. Um, I built challenges in my backyard. Uh, what else did I do? I, I just basically practiced puzzles. My literally every day, because I knew that like, while I am deceptively strong and I held my own in every challenge I've ever competed in physically, um, I knew that I would need to have a point of difference amongst other people. So I became the kind of the puzzle guy. um, And that kind of paid off in dividends uh, in my season, um, both seasons. Um, And I just, I don't know, I just feel like I made sure I, I like literally turned over every stone. This time going out there for All Stars, one of the things that I did to prepare was when I reflected back on what went well and what went wrong in my first season, a lot went wrong and a lot of it was mm. boiled down to my social game, which is a huge component of playing survival or any type of game where you want people to vote for you and vote, sorry, vote with you. And at the end, hopefully vote for you to win. So um, cause that kind of let me down in season one, I just basically got my family to sit around one night and I said, okay, open slather amnesty policy. You are, able to say anything you want to me criticize me i want you to bring up every ill thing that i've ever done to you tell me when i'm annoying what words i use that annoy you like i have this really bad habit of not looking people in the eye um when they talk it's just developed over the last few years i don't know why yeah um and so i said just go lay it all on me and they did and they literally just like broke me down like <laughs> night after night I think we did it three nights in a row and it was like it was all about me figuring out okay don't do that how do you confront someone who because in season one I just basically fought with everyone and this time mm. I't do that so I just kind of like you know how do you take criticism um, it was just this like fascinating fascinating study in like who you are as a person because you just kind of surround in everyday life we surround ourselves in this little echo chamber of people that we like and people who like us. And I've got a ton of friends who really like me but put me on the island and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not as likeable as I thought I was. <laughs> it's just that we weed out the people who don't like us. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you never have to actually face people that, you know, well, you do, you face them, but you probably never see them again. Like, what happens if you're stuck with someone who doesn't like you? So that was my like kind of extremely insane psychotic prep that kind of made me feel really relaxed, actually, because I went out there going, cool, if I get voted out now, at least it's not because I didn't prepare.
0: And then I think about you actually playing the game. And I think that I guess it happens for any player because you're you're sleep deprived, you're Mm, hungry, hungry. you've been there for weeks away from family, away from any technology. But then also there's, I'd imagine there's a sense of paranoia all the time because you're always trying to save yourself um, or keep yourself in the game because there's a you know there's a title you want to win there's a five hundred thousand dollar prize you want to win. Yeah. How do you not just go crazy with that paranoia?
1: Yeah, paranoia management is actually like a really underrated component of um, of playing Survivor and, and preparing for Survivor. Like you have to know, and you have in season one. I think what made me really sketchy is that like if I saw people walking off. I'd be like, what are they talking about? And I'd like, maybe like go up and interrupt them or like say to someone else, what are they talking about? Mm. And I think what I learned is that part of Survivor is like just recognizing that everyone um, is going to be having those conversations and it's okay because you wouldn't want someone coming up to do it to you. You wouldn't want to kind of stoke that paranoia. And what I found is that paranoia breeds paranoia. And if you're the one in the camp who's saying, what are they talking about? Then when you walk off, someone else is going to be going, okay, wow. What is he talking about now? Mm. So if you just kind of like, you have to just be confident and comfortable in the relationships you make and the way in which you're playing that if someone does walk off and have those conversations, it's okay. And I think the other thing about that never translates when you're watching any type of reality TV and when you have played or been on reality TV, especially twice now, when you watch it, you can see it. It's this weird thing where it's, We think that we're looking at paranoia um, between players, or if you're watching, like, you know, the Kardashians, for example, it's like paranoia between sisters. A lot of the time, what I now know is it's paranoia between the subjects and the producers. Like, and a lot of the um, angst that you see spill out on the show between people is the angst at the way people feel that they're being portrayed or the way in which they feel the show is kind of like out to get them. And that manifests itself on Survivor with like, you know, the crew are amazing and they don't outwardly, you know, do anything negative to you, but you have a conversation with one of them in an interview and they plant seeds, whether they know they're doing it or not. They plant seeds, which make you get your backup. And Mm. then you go into camp with your backup and you can't talk to the producers outside of, interview so you start taking it out on the people in your camp and and it's fascinating because like you have to manage your paranoia of the people in your camp you manage your paranoia of the show and the network and what they're doing and many times they're not doing anything but it's your own mind running a million miles an hour and the other thing is a lot of reality TV is filmed in isolation from your home. Like you don't get to call home. You're not, you don't know what's happening and managing the paranoia of like something bad happening at home that you don't know about. So yeah, it's this weird little kind of like three pronged attack on your mental state.
0: Mm. I've got you on this podcast. Uh, the topic is reality TV. Mm. We're trying to solve the problems associated with reality to television. And, and I heard from you that you make your year 12 students do a, unit on reality tv yeah so i used
1: to teach um a specific english course that had a bit more of a media focus to it and um this was before i was actually on survivor but i've always been fascinated by reality tv um and i thought okay the the problem and this kind of feeds into the overarching thesis i guess of your podcast is the problem is not so much reality tv i think what people need to realize is that reality tv is a work of fiction in the fact that even if it is a documentary style and what is actually occurring, and on like this, what the subjects are doing is completely 100% real, um, it's a work of fiction in the fact that it is a product that is to be consumed by the masses and it's a product that is designed to engage and entertain, and therefore. Editing comes into it, and uh, advertising, and you know the construction of archetypes, etc. Mm. And what and what was annoying me is because I, I don't like when reality TV gets a bad rap, right? Yeah. Because we all we, because we should know that it is a product designed to be consumed, and therefore we need to view it with a critical eye. Mm. And it's just like when you read anything online, like is it clickbait or is it a real story? Mm. Or when you're watching Current Affair versus you know australian story or whatever it is like you need to be able to view media in a way that is discerning and in a way that shows that you are always questioning what is being put in front of you and it was annoying me that like the general public and my students and you know just just couldn't understand that so so what i I did is i constructed this unit around reality television which was designed to get students to question what they were watching. And the the way that I did it was based around these kind of five key tenets of, you know, the English course in general, which is on the idea of audience, purpose, form, language and context. And while some of them are more important than others and we don't really need to deal with all of them, but the main ones is audience and purpose and context to some degree. Like if you can watch a show and say what are they trying to do? Like, what is the purpose of this mm. show? Mm. You know, and what is the primary purpose? But also, what is the secondary and the tertiary purpose? And beyond that, like, who is the audience for this show? What are their values? What do they want? What are they do? What are they enjoying the show for? When you start to kind of like run through those things in your head, it kind of like gives you this toolbox to watch reality TV. Not in a way where it's like, oh, all TVs, all reality TV is trash. It gives you a way to go. I understand what is being done. And if I buy into it in any level beyond entertainment, then that's my, that's my, the problem is me, not mm. the show. For example, if you're watching The Bachelor, like I assume we all have at least a base knowledge of The Bachelor, yes? Yep. Um, and The Bachelor, like a few seasons ago, it was actually the year that I played Survivor, there was a girl called Kira on there who was the villain and then she was brought back for Bachelor in Paradise, and then she was on I'm a Celebrity, and blah, 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 blah. You know, if we watch that show knowing that, like, she serves a purpose for us, and the way in which she's depicted serves a purpose, and the way in which, you know, she didn't interact like that all the time, and they've just kind of cherry picked the bits that are shown for, like, to make us kind of understand her character, we then kind of can realize that she's a real person, and she's not someone who we should be sending death threats to. Mm. Um, and and I feel like that's super, super important. Um, and as someone who was uh, the villain in season one, I had a very, um, it was crazy that I used to teach this unit and then it actually happened to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I had, um, there was this huge continuum of reaction to me. It was, it, people loved me and like, would like, oh my God, this guy's the best. He's the bright star of the show. Like he makes it, you know, watchable all the way to people who were like, Get this guy off my screen. I absolutely hate him. He is the worst. And some of that spilled into real life. Like I was was getting death threats in my Instagram inbox. I was wow. getting, you know, in I it, once I was at the Adelaide fringe and I was out with my friends and some guy came up to me and like literally arced up and was like, You're the worst. You're a disgrace. Blah blah. blah. I, I had people who were um, it's funny. None of this bothers me. Like I think it's okay. yeah. Um one, one like on the show, I, there was this kind of touching moment where I was, you know, celebrating or commemorating what would have been my mum's 60th birthday out on the island. She'd passed away of breast cancer. Mm. And then you go on Twitter and people are like, um, thank God your ghost mum, your mum's dead. Your ghost mum can't help you now. She died of shame, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, and it's like, it just says so much about their ability to not critically analyze a text. Mm which perhaps I've taken for granted as an English teacher because that's what I do all day. Just like, what is this text attempting to do and how is it attempting to position the audience? So I thought that that unit was actually like really important to do. So what we did is we looked at those five key headings and we watched a variety of clips from shows from like the trashy things like The Real Housewives all the way to things like Bondi Rescue. Um, We looked at The Amazing Race about competition shows um we looked at team mum and like what that was trying to do and achieve and um and it was just like this fascinating unit where the kids were like hooked and afterwards they would always say that they've just they've changed the way that they watch tv now and and in understanding that everything has a context mm. and it was just fascinating to me
0: as a player who's done this a couple of times and obviously each episode can't fit everything in how yep. frustrating is it when certain narratives are, are left behind or or um portrayed in a way that you know maybe not completely fair to you
1: yeah so okay so i think it would be disingenuous for me to sit here and say that like oh you know you just you know it, it is what it is because let's say i've been on altogether maybe like 30 episodes 35 episodes or something like that of of survivor uh, there have been two times specifically where I've come away from the episode and been really annoyed at the way in which it was portrayed Mm -hmm. the first time, first season I was not annoyed at how I was portrayed. I was more annoyed at how someone else was portrayed to be this kind of heroic person. And I'll come back to that in a second. And the second time I was annoyed that they kind of like left something on the cutting room floor, which explained basically the whole, the premise of the whole episode. Now, that's only two times in, you know, 35 or so episodes. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, like, do I complain, like, to my family and friends? Sure. Like, did I go on Twitter this season and say, look, I just want to correct like that this is what actually happened just to give people the information? Sure, I did that. But of course they can't show everything. And as someone who... Received an extremely negative edit the first time. Like, if I was to complain, I think that is so stupid. Like, if I was to complain to the show, and many, many contestants on these shows, let me tell you, get back in contact with the show and complain about their edit or their lack of visibility or the way they were portrayed. I have never once done that. I've always been extremely grateful for the experience because I guess I boil it down to this it's 2020, or when I played the first time, it was 2016 we know what we're getting ourselves into. Mm. This isn't 2001 and we're the first people who ever went on Big Brother and no one knew what reality TV was and we were shocked at the fact that there's stuff that's left out. Like if you enter the Thunderdome like of reality television with Twitter and public opinion and network television and advertising requirements, and if you enter that arena, you need to be prepared to be, cut down by that 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 process it's kind of like the analogy that i told some of my fellow castaways who were struggling with it the first time was by asking to be on reality tv we walked up to the most popular kid in school and said let us be part of your gang and then got upset when the gang beat us up and took our lunch money like Mm. like if you don't want to be beaten up by the, the the process stay away from the process like you know, like, you know that this happens to people. So if you complain about it, like, obviously, like, I, you know, you know quibble with, quibbled with it on Twitter this, this season. I just kind of put out a tweet. I was like, mm, not quite. That's a quibble. You know, we're allowed yeah. to have quibbles, but like, at the end of the day, I know exactly what I signed up for. And I would sign up again for the experience to play my favorite game. Like, I would never do any other reality TV show because I'm not in it for the TV show. I, I signed up because that's part of the deal. You don't get to play Survivor without the cameras and the TV show and Twitter. And I was speaking to Lydia, for example, who was on All Stars with me, and she said, I love Survivor, but I would only ever do it again if there were no cameras. And it's like, but that's not Survivor. Like, <laughs> like, like, it's part of the parcel. If you mm. want the experience, you have to take what comes with it. So so I guess my, my advice to anyone who goes on these shows and grumbles and and, and complains is, what did you think was going to happen like it's a sad part of our society that there are people who will message you death threats like that's just what happens and that's really messed up and that's not okay but like if you don't want that to happen to you you have to know that you have to stay away because people are assholes mm. <laughs> and it could happen and it's and only go on reality tv if you have a very thick skin here it is a, such a sad indictment on, on society when you really think about it it
0: but. is it is and it, and and that's not just restricted to reality tv that's anyone in the public eye you know it's definitely
1: just, yeah anyone <laughs> on radio like like it's just this this just people can be really really cruel
0: exactly here in australia there's now it's kind of a given that reality tv is kind of stripped across a week so you know you yeah. get multiple nights of survivor master chef the block Married at first sight, etc., and, and I think there's an argument that that it's done. I mean, we're we're used to it now. It's a it's a habit thing, but um, there's also an argument that often reality TV can be cheaper than say a, a producing a scripted drama. Do you think that there is too much reality TV as far as what's on in prime time on free to air here in Australia?
1: I actually do. Um, I do. I think that there needs to be just like everything, there needs to be a balance. Like just like in the edit of a TV show, there needs to be a balance between showing the people just like in our everyday lives. We need to going to have a health, healthy balance. Like I can't happily eat McDonald's tomorrow knowing that I had a healthy meal today. You have to find that balance because what it does is it kind of becomes this self perpetuating cycle where it's like, Oh, this is what rates. So let's put more on. And Mm. it's like, no, that's what rates because that's literally all that's on. Like, you know, I think of, like, good Aussie dramas, like, you know, remember things like The Secret Life of Us or, like, even something like Offspring, like, while I never myself watched these shows, like, these are, like, you know, water rats back in the day. Like, how often do we see shows like that? Like, I'm actually struggling to think of any off the top of my head, except, you know, there was that five bedrooms thing on Channel 10. Like, you know, like, it is too much. Like, it it has probably, the, the pendulum has swung too far.
0: Well, as we wrap... I've really loved this conversation, Nick, and uh, it's it's good to think more in depth about reality TV, but um, what shall we do about reality television?
1: Well, I think it's a really good question. I kind of like actually wrote out like a few tips yes. to give people stuff that we, I guess we already know, but we just kind of forget because like you said, there is so much reality TV that we just kind of go on autopilot sometimes. Mm. But one of the, the the activities I did with my class is I gave them this little checklist of things and then I showed them a, highly, highly manipulated scene. I think it might have been from, it may have been from Jersey Shore or like The Real Housewives or something like that. But basically like, how can we look at something in question whether the edit is is giving us a, a, a highly manufactured product? So the first thing to do is look for the number of cuts in a scene. You know, many cuts to different frames implies that they're not only trying to speed up the action, but they're also heavily, heavily splicing the content and that means reaction shots, um, the same shot over and over again. Um, so, so look for the number of cuts. The other thing is, look for a thing in the industry which is called a Frankenbite. If you, I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard of this before. Yeah. But uh, um, a Frankenbite is when it's kind of like this sound bite which has been taken from multiple interviews across perhaps days or weeks and, and pushed together. And if you watch Survivor, you can, you know, I'm not saying Australian Survivor does this, but like an example is if you watch someone who's doing their to-camera confessional and they're wearing one item of clothing in one location and then it'll cut to something that they're kind of narrating over of them, you know, back Mm. in camp. And then when Mm. it cuts back and it seems like they're starting, continuing their sentence, they're in a new location wearing a different set of clothes (laughs) with a beard that's maybe grown over a couple of days. So... You know, and it tells you that perhaps those sentences, while they are definitely things that came out that person's mouth, like the show cannot create new words, um, they have perhaps been tweaked a little bit. So look for a Um The other thing is the, the music. And as an English teacher, whenever we study film, I tell my students that the number one most powerful tool that filmmakers use is music, in positioning the audience on how to feel. Um, and an example of this is if you go on YouTube and you watch the trailer for Harry Potter, for example, we are told to how to feel because of the spooky music and the, you know, the, the, the soundtrack. Mm. But then there's actually a YouTube account, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, where they re-edit trailers with different music to make them an entirely different genre. Yeah. And it's actually quite fascinating that with the same footage and the same sound bites, but with a different musical track, you can be made to feel a completely different way. So I always tell my students that music is the most powerful tool that a reality TV editor or producer has in making you feel a certain way. And the example that I give from my personal experience is that um, when I would walk into camp, there would be this like... (laughs) (laughs) Like almost Darth Vader-like music. (laughs) That is like, here he is. But then, you know, and everyone's like, oh, oh, oh something's going to happen here. And it's just like a shot of me walking to pick up a bowl of rice. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, that's, that's, but that's what they have to do because they're trying to tell a story. And this is not me, you know, pushing back against it. I think it's awesome and hilarious, but I can think that because I don't put an, too much stock in how reality TV makes me feel. And I guess the, 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 the inverse of that is if, if they're trying to push this idea that someone's this really swell guy or, you know, the Aussie battler, you know, blah, 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 they are not going to show all the bad things. Mm. <laughs> they're going to show the good things and they're going to give you an, a swelling violin track in the background, um, you know, some nice twinkling piano keys. So so keep an eye on the music. Um, and, and, and the last thing, the last tip on it was to consider the location of the cameras this is more for like a show like something like a keeping up with the Kardashians or a, you know a real house or something like that where you know if the camera is already inside the room when people are walking in <laughs> that has not been caught by accident yeah that has been a setup a staged setup moment where while they are while it is still all um, natural maybe what they're saying it is not a completely organic experience and and I think we often think like Oh yeah. Like like if you really something like, "Oh yeah, where how did that camera get there? Like that wasn't in that shop. How did they know to walk into that shop?" It's like, "Well, that's because the producers contacted that shop like weeks ago saying we're going to film a scene, and they picked their prettiest looking ca- cashier to stand at the counter, and they made sure that it was all clean and there was lighting rigged up so that when, you know, Kim and Chloe walk in, like it's all ready to go." Now, it's not fake but it's mm. manufactured so i guess look for the location of the cameras question the soundtrack look out for frankenbites and, and assess the number of cuts in a scene and they are my tips on how to be a critical reality tv viewer so that you don't hate it you just enjoy it for
0: what it is nick Odanza, I, i've really appreciated having having you on this for this topic of reality tv and uh thank you for your insights, but also your uh, fantastic play on uh, Survivor.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always, it's always fun to, to chat reality TV.
0: My thanks to Nick Idanza, who is both on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Idanza. That's N-I-C-K-I-A-D-A-N-Z-A. And you can see Nick competing in seasons one and five of Australian Survivor anytime you like on 10Play. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe and leave a review. They all help get the word out about this pod. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at What shall We do Pod and on Twitter at What shall we Pod? What shall we do about is hosted and produced by me, Sam Robinson with production support from Ali Barnes, and original theme music by Chad Gardner. Catch you next time.